Tim Haig Reads Books, presented by Tim Haig. Richard Dawkins has said that there is no such thing as a Muslim child, only the child of Muslim parents. St. Richard's admirers are wont to characterize the imposition of religious delusions as a variety of child abuse, but not all atheist writers are that militant. Alam Shaha was brought up in a Muslim community. He is now a physics teacher and a thoughtful and tolerant atheist who has left the delusions far behind without giving up any part of his heritage. His new book, The Young Atheist's Handbook, is his account of his journey and also a meditation on the questions that might exercise others taking the same road. Tim met Alom at his home in the Elephant and Castle to explore those questions and to test the militancy of his convictions. This is Tim Haig Reads Books and I've got in my hand The Young Atheist's Handbook by Alom Shaha. Well, um, Alam, is um, is apostate going to be a useful word for this discussion, or would we prefer to go with something a little more innocuous, like ex-Muslim or something like that? I think in certain parts of the world, maybe it would be an appropriate word, but I think I think in the UK, it's not really a relevant term, to be honest. How do you think of yourself? I think of myself in all sorts of ways, um, and I suppose in the context of this book, I. I'm clearly putting myself forward as an atheist and specifically an ex-Muslim atheist. But I think the ex-Muslim part is actually a very small part of that story. Well, let's go there anyway. Tell me a little bit about your background, because it, 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 I think it is actually very relevant to the nature of the book. Um, I was born in Bangladesh and raised by Muslim parents in a predominantly Muslim community in the Elephant and Castle. Which Dawkins is... would approve. Raised by Muslim parents. Yes. Dawkins would say there is no such thing as a Muslim child, wouldn't he? That's right. And um, I, th- I think he kind of hits the nail on the head with me in that I think very early on in my childhood, I stopped thinking of myself as a Muslim. And, and the word Muslim is, you know, it's an identity term that is thrust upon children by their parents. And as soon as I was thinking for myself about who I wanted to be and what it meant to be me, I think the term Muslim very quickly became a term that I I didn't associate with myself. What prompted you to think for yourself in that way? I don't think there was anything that prompted me to think you, for myself. You're just the kind of person who does, huh? I, I think a lot of people think for themselves. I don't think it's anything special. I just think my uh, intellectual journey, if you like, uh, is perhaps different from, from others. You're a teacher. Yes. You're a, in fact, you're a physics teacher. Yeah. Which is certainly going to uh, incline you towards a, a more rationalistic outlook. And you describe in the book that you've had classes in which you, you've, you've uh, checked all the kids and every one of them subscribes to the religion of their parents and you point out to them, yeah, well, you know, maybe there's a reason for that. Yeah, no, I had a, a, a very interesting lesson once where uh, I don't know why the subject of religion had turned up, but I, I did point out to, to, to the students that uh, everyone who was a Christian in the class had Christian parents, everyone who was a Muslim had Muslim parents, and everyone who was Jewish had Jewish parents, and so forth. And it was remarkable. There's a, there was almost a stunned silence, and, and one of the girls said, um, wow, I've never really thought of it like that. Isn't that astonishing that, you know, 15-year-old children can think of themselves as Muslims or Christians or Jews or whatever, and, and never stop to think that, actually, the reason why they think of themselves in those terms is because it's a label that they've inherited from their parents. And of course, everybody is looking for identity. In fact, you, you make some very good points in the book that uh, to a large extent, the, 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 the uh, militant 
religiosity of a lot of uh, a lot of kids or a lot of teenagers is that they're looking for identity rather than that they're looking for something spiritual absolutely i I think um a lot of the young people that we see who are kind of overtly adopting islamic identities are simply going through the same kind of processes that all teenagers go through in terms of trying to find an identity that they feel fits them so you know i describe uh, at some length my efforts to become a goth uh, when I was a teenager, and yes, it's very funny. And you know, and, and in fact, you 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 sort of equate that, don't you? You're you're sort of adopting the goth look yeah. and attitudes very much with, uh, say, a, a kid who adopts uh, a, a militantly Islamic outlook and puts on all the all the uh, the distinctive clothing. I don't think they're exactly identical, but I think there are very strong parallels, and I think we must bear this in mind when we, you know, look at these young people. And I think if we understand that actually perhaps some of these uh, young Muslims are not so much wanting to to kind of, I don't know, tear down Western culture, but are actually struggling with issues of who they are and who they want to be. I think um, we'd be doing them a favour as well as doing ourselves a favour, yeah. You've used the word handbook here. Yes. it's actually not a, a handbook in, in in terms of being a, like a manual to anything. It's not like a, 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 a Haynes car manual. I think you're being it's, very pedantic. It fits very nicely in one's hand. And, uh, and it, it is a book. <laughs> that's right. But no, I, I take your point. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's as much a memoir as anything else. I mean, it tells your story and how you came to, to think about the, the issues that you, you then want to talk about as much as the issues that you want to talk about. Sure. I, I originally wanted to write a much more literal handbook um, I wanted to write a book that would be a guide for young people who were thinking about atheism and so forth. But um, my agent convinced me not to write that book and to write the one that eventually got pu- published. So, you know, it's all credit to her because I think the book I've written is a much better book than the one I originally planned. However, um, lots of people have pointed out that it's not really a handbook. And I think actually, you know, it kind of could be a handbook. It has the potential to be a handbook in that it's the kind of book that I think you can refer to if you want to think about a particular aspect of atheism. I think it absolutely meets that need. And more importantly, my my hope is that it's going to reach a lot of people who are struggling with their atheism and who just need to be reassured that they're not alone. And And in that sense, I think it can meet... Uh, the, 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 the needs that a handbook would meet. Well, of course, what it does, it, it, it's a very congenial way into the, some of the issues that you want to discuss because, you know, you tell a little bit of your story, which is an interesting and engaging story, and then that will lead you into talking about a particular aspect of religion or of atheism that you want that you want to address. And one thing that struck me is that you are, you're very um, tolerant of... <laughs> Well, Islam, Christianity, um, uh, and um, of Muslims. I, I, I mean, I, I suspect that I'm a lot more uh, militantly atheistic <laughs> than you are. I mean, I, I'm, I make Richard Dawkins uh, look like the Dalai Lama. I am dry as dust. But you, you are perfectly uh, okay about giving a lot more space to these uh, outlooks than, than some of us. I think the way we look at the world depends on all sorts of things. I think how we come to hold the beliefs we hold um, is is interesting. And I, I don't want to judge people too strongly who have different beliefs to me. Where I do have a problem is if people claim to have 
access to divine knowledge that tells them that, for example, uh, gay people are evil or that women are inferior. Um, in those circumstances, you'll find that I can be very militant. Well, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you can. And, and you don't you don't like, uh, for instance, life after death. You're not you're not a big fan of, of doctrines of. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not a fan of doctrine or dogma. But what I do have is a great deal of empathy for people brought up in religious families or who, for whatever reason, adopt religious worldviews. And I think the instinct to reach for God is a very basic human instinct. And I think some people find it more difficult to to turn away from that instinct. And one of the remarkable things, and beautiful and wonderful things about being human is that we can overcome our basic human instincts. Um, and we do that in all sorts of ways. And I think the there is an instinct to reach for God and some people find themselves unable to turn away from it, to, unable to, 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 to see it for what it really is, which is, you know, a, a response to the world that isn't necessarily true. And I think I understand that, so I don't... And do you understand where it comes from? What, yes. what, what prompts people to need uh, a concept of God? I, th I think it's the way our brains evolved. I th you know, lots of very smart people have written about this, that, you know, once we've got food and shelter, we start asking the big questions. And before we had science, before we had better answers, the answer that our brains came up with was God, you know, and, and that, that's fine. And, and I think it's important to understand that. And then we, we, we have all sorts of other needs that religion... Like uh, fear of death. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a big one for us. Yes, I think religion meets a lot of basic human needs. And my point in the book is that, yes, religion can meet those needs, but actually maybe there are better ways yeah, of meeting those Some people would say that, uh, you know, we should leave it alone because it gives a lot of comfort to people. Yeah. It, 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 you know, gives people uh, uh, somewhere to go in times of sure. trouble. Sure, and, and, and I think for, for me, the point is that, yes, for some people, religion meets those needs and is perhaps for those people the best ways of meeting those needs, but... Well, even if it's not true. Yes, but I think... There are an increasing number of us in the modern world. It's really difficult, I think, to believe in those things. And actually, uh, many of us, in, you know, would be happier if we uh, embraced a humanistic or an atheistic worldview. Because I think we do have better answers now, and I, I think one can be happier uh, by rejecting religious ideas. And, and that, that's really what I'm trying to get at. I'm, tr I'm trying to reach those people who don't really believe, who, who suspect that God is just a myth and who need just a little nudge uh, or push in the right direction to, to live a far more fulfilling life by accepting uh, an atheistic worldview. One of the things you are a, a bit impatient with is the sort of Stephen Jay Gould uh, notion that there are uh, non-overlapping magisteria, by which we mean that there's you, you can basically hold two contradictory notions in your head, which is that science gives a good picture of uh, reality and that there is such a thing as God, because they have different they have they, they occupy different spaces of of, of understanding. Uh, you you don't have a lot of truck with that, do you? I think it's perfectly possible for people to hold contradictory ideas. There's lots of evidence of that, right? So I uh, and I don't think for individuals religion and science need to be mutually exclusive. I think individuals can perfectly well do science and hold religious beliefs. Where I have a problem is 
with people saying that there is no overlap because there is. It's, it's a simple fact that, uh, for example, creationists make uh, scientific statements about the world. So it's fundamentally disingenuous to suggest that these non-overlapping magisteria exist because unfortunately the reality is that there is an overlap and it's in that overlap that things become problematic. However, for individuals, I think it's perfectly possible to to be religious and scientific at the same time. It seems to me that the the argument between the scientific outlook and the religious outlook is um it's a a categorical one um because the religious outlook belongs in the realm of culture. It's about what happens to people. We all know that people have religious experiences and they're real experiences. There's 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 nothing um bogus or invented about them. They genuinely experience something. But of course for those of us who don't subscribe to the religion, it's something internal. It's it's an, it's an event that's going on internally for them. And clearly the problem arises when um, people try and project that outwards and try to say something uh, particular and true about the external world as it is, which really is the, the, the domain of the scientific outlook. Do you, do you agree with that? I think sophisticated uh, theologians are better at separating uh, these kind of magisteria, if you like. So, for example, the Catholic Church absolutely accepts that the theory of evolution by natural selection is the best explanation. Now, they were a little yeah, tardy. But they, they, they do, but at the same time, unfortunately, the Catholic Church still insists that uh, uh, at communion the, the uh, wafer literally transforms into the flesh well, of Christ. that's just witch and, doctory, isn't and, it? And it's just that, magic. That, that's where we, we, we start to have a problem. But um, going back to, to what religion and science can offer us is, I, I think as science has developed, it's replaced religion in how we seek explanations for how the world works and so religion has, has to, had to shift in a different kind of area of human need and and, and explanation and, and so forth and, and I think that that you know some religious people haven't caught up with that shift and and religion clearly meets specific needs for for lots of human beings but the one need I think it it no longer can meet because we have a better tool is how to explain what happens in the world, what happens in the universe. And, and, and that's what things like physics, biology and chemistry do so successfully. So we don't, we don't really need religion for those things anymore. And I think some religious people just need to let go of that. What they might say to you, though, is that your, your, your subscription to science is, is uh, just another faith. It's, it's, it, what they will try and do is make it a, a, a parallel to, to their own outlook sure. and for some of us I mean you you have uh, some expertise and some understanding of physics some of us are a little uh, a little <laughs> shaky on physics and I have to take it on faith that, that when those uh, you know those uh, electrons you, are spinning that they have to spin twice to get back to the same place I simply don't understand that I just have it, to believe it, but it doesn't matter that you don't understand it and, and because you're not taking it on faith in the same way that uh, religions require you to take their stories on faith because there is evidence for the ideas that we present in science. And if you had the time and took the trouble, you, you could arrive at the the answers that science presents you for them for yourself to some extent. I, I'm sure there are philosophers of science who would disagree with me. But the example I give is this. If what religion postulates is the existence of this thing called God, there is absolutely no evidence that this thing called God exists. There's no, there is no test you can do. 
There is no uh, question you can ask which can only be resolved with it with this God thing. So you, you, if, if God was a scientific hypothesis, you, you would be able to have a statement along the lines of, if God exists, then X, Y, and Z happens. And the fact is, we cannot detect X, Y, and Z. There is no X, Y, and Z. Yeah. However, if, if I say to you, um, in, in an atom, there are these tiny invisible things called electrons, and they do this, um, we, we can then test if, if electrons behave the way we predict them to, to behave. And if those things weren't in some sense true, then your mobile phone wouldn't work, for example. So that we have evidence that something like the electrons that physicists describes does indeed exist. There is no such parallel for this thing called God. And therefore, when people say to me that you believe in science like I believe in God, I, I think I have a very powerful contradiction to that argument. What about the the argument that uh, that religion makes people better, that it makes uh, people more virtuous, uh, and that uh, you know we need it for morality? Uh, again, I think that's a very easily demolished argument. I, I think there's no evidence that people without faith behave any worse than people with faith. Um, I, I think we do good things for all sorts of reasons, and yes, you know, religion may inspire some people to be good, but I suspect that those people would be good people anyway and the problem is we can't do the experiment except um uh, perhaps if, if i don't know if someone's done the study but you know you could look at people for example who came from religious backgrounds and then became atheists and you could examine whether their morality changed in any way for the worse and i suspect you'd find it doesn't let's go back to the book then have you had any feedback from um well, the religious community, you know, any priests, rabbis, um, imams, has it gone down with uh, with the community? Um, one of the things that has been really delightful has been the response from religious people to, to the book. Um, so the book was published in Australia back in February. And I remember doing a panel show at a literary festival uh, alongside a Catholic priest and before the panel show he, he came up to me and I, I thought oh god here we go and he said um, I rather liked your book and, and just left it at that and then during the panel discussion uh, you know somebody asked something and he, he literally took my book and held it out to the audience and he said you should all read this book and he said that he, he, he was also an RE teacher and he said that he was going to buy the book uh, and make all his students read it and I think that's astonishing. I was absolutely astonished. And, and similarly, uh, just a few days ago, I was emailed by a Church of England priest in England uh, who wrote to me and said, uh, loved your book, but you haven't converted me. However, I've given a copy of it to my son, uh, who is exploring atheism as part of his own journey. And uh, I was really touched by that, that a priest would buy a copy of my book and give it to his son. I just think that's, you know, remarkable. How would you like to see things work out in the future from this point of view of uh, religion and, and, and atheism? Would you like to see the world moving towards um, a, a universal humanism? I'd love to see the world move towards a universal humanism. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the human instinct for religion is too great. And I think religion of some shape or form will, will inevitably be around forever, unfortunately. However, I do hope that religions, all of them around the world, can evolve to be more humanistic and more just. I think institutionalised religion 
causes a great deal of harm in the world. And I, I think what we can do as humanists and atheists is to try and convince religious people to adopt some of our values and to encourage religions to evolve into slightly different beasts, beasts which weren't as offensive and upsetting as some of us find them. How much confidence do you have in that? I have a great deal of confidence in that, actually. I think we've, you know, you you can look at how uh, humans have evolved and you can see, you know, I think we live in a fairer, more just society than ever before. And I know the world can seem like a really shitty place at times, but I think ultimately in the long term, we will move to being better to ourselves. And part of that requires religions to adopt the moral values that we humanists hold. Amen to that. Well, the book is The Young Atheist's Handbook by Alam Shahar. It's uh, published by Biteback, That's and right. it's twelve ninety nine, and it's available in all good secular bookshops right now. Thanks very much. Thank you. That was Tim Haig Reads Books, presented by Tim Haig. Tim Haig Reads Books is a Green Shoot production. More details can be found at www.green-shoot.com or Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.